So good to see everybody. Um, just so great to be together this morning. Hopefully you've been made uh, to feel right at home this morning. So great to see you guys and be together on another Sunday. And we just believe that these moments and times of just connecting with each other are part of our worship. So well done on that front and really just thrilled. Just love this community so much. Just so thankful um, for you guys and thankful for these times where we can connect with each other. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Drew and would love if we have never met to meet you guys after the gathering. I was saying to a few people that I met that are newer that we do at the back have an online, like a digital connect card that we would love for you to fill out if you want. So everybody see Heather there, the pretty girl in beige, wave your hand. Yes, I can say she's pretty because we're together, so it's good. Um, if you want to see her after and you want to stay in the loop, we do something called Praxis Weekly that we send out. It's a weekly email, and a number of people are now engaging uh, the community through that. And if you do that, you give us your details, we'll hook you up with some, uh, some opportunity to, to find out what's going on in the community. But as well, we'll make a small donation uh, to our friends at Mission Services. Anybody that fills out the Connect card, we do that. So if you want to see Heather after the gathering, first of all, she's amazing. I'm not trying to get brownie points, I promise. She really is. She's great. And uh, would love to hook you up with that if that's uh, something you want to do. But I also get it. If you don't want us to give us your details, just give us a few weeks and we'll, we'll warm your heart to that. Maybe. Maybe not. It's all good. Um, everybody doing okay? So here's the thing. We launched Praxis Church on February the 3rd, 2019, which is like, I don't know, eight weeks ago, seven weeks ago. And if you know our story, we started as a site of another church in town and have made this decision to kind of come out from under mom, mama church, and move out of the basement and become a community, an autonomous, autonomous community on our own. And our first series here at Praxis has been a series called Discover Praxis. Uh, what we've wanted to do is just really drill down on the core values and the vision of our community and the mission, and it's been really good highlighting the things that we really believe God has led us to as the things that we value. And I just want to say thank you to you guys that have hung in there. I know for some of you that have been a part of the community for a while that this is a ton of review because through the story of City View, you kind of engaged in some of these ideas to where God has led us. And uh, now what we're going to do is we're going to land the plane on that, and I'm really excited about that. And so some of this will probably be a little bit of review for you guys as well again. But we're going to, okay, this morning is super nuts and bolts. Like we're going to talk about nuts and bolts vision, how we do some of the things that we do. So if you're newer, I promise we love the Bible here, and I can't wait for our next series after Easter. We will be walking through the book of Ephesians. This morning is very nuts and boltish. Is that Okay. You don't seem convinced. Are you all right with that? I just feel like as we land this thing, one of the things we want to do is clearly put before everybody who we are, why we do some of the things that we do around here. And then at the end of this particular teaching, we're going to talk about membership and lead you to that if that's a desire of yours for the community. You okay? Everybody take a deep breath. If you have a Bible and you want to turn with me, we are going to start with the scriptures, of course. And so we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and there is slides there as well that we'll make sure get up on the screen for you. Let me just read the text, but before we get there, I just want to say this. In context, the letters of 1 and 2 Thessalonians are actually the earliest letters that Paul writes to communities in the New Testament. 
So if you don't know, in the New Testament, there's all sorts of letters that this guy named Paul is writing to these early subversive communities, trying to help them in how they practice the way of Jesus and follow Jesus in community. And one of the things you can tell in Paul's writing in 1 Thessalonians, in 2 Thessalonians, as he writes this community in Thessalonica, is that he's dealing with a couple specific things. And one of these things we know for sure is that this community in Thessalonica is on the edge of their seat believing that Jesus is going to return at any moment. And so one of the things that Paul is trying to do is help them with that because we believe Jesus is going, our theology leads us to believe Jesus is going to return. Anybody with me? Like this is, this is, this is why we're here, Right? Jesus promises that heaven is coming to earth and he's going to restore this earth as his kingdom comes. But Paul's also trying to correct some things around this community and how they're to live in the moment. Uh, you've probably heard this. Some people are so heavenly minded that they're, no, they're not earthly good. I'm sure you've heard people say that before. And there is a fine line. There is a tension in longing for the kingdom that's coming and understanding that there's a call and a mission to be the people of God in the present right now, in the present reality. And we live in this tension because one of the things the early Christians and the early Christian writers, especially the disciples, really believed, they believed that eternal life doesn't start when you fly off to some place in the future age, but eternal life starts in the here and now. And so Paul is trying to help these people, this church in Thessalonica, understand you are the people of the future the eschaton is coming. Heaven and earth will come back together. But you are the people of the future, but you are the people of the future in the present. And so he's correcting and leading them. And so I want to look at a passage, but just keep that in your framework. These people are really believing Jesus is going to return. And here's the thing. In the 21st century, we've completely lost that. I really haven't thought about this much this week, but how often do we think that Jesus is coming? Um, there, there isn't that urgency probably like there was in the first century. But let me read this either way, because I think this helps lead us to some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning. Paul says this, verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 4. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but you reject God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Verse 9. Hanging with me? You okay? Verse 9. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact... You do, all, you do love all of God's family through Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. 
You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Paul here is talking about a couple things, and one of the things he's talking about in this, in this text is the most prominent thing that distinguished the Jesus community from the Roman culture around it. Anybody know what that is? It's right here in the text. The one thing, there's a couple things that really distinguish the church, but the number one overarching thing that distinguished the church from Roman culture was what the church does with their bodies. The church in the first century, had a completely countercultural sexual ethic. And if, you, and if you don't think so, just read from Matthew all the way to the end of Revelation, and you see that as they try and live this out, what we do with our bodies as Jesus followers is completely different. In Rome, you were, for the most part, free to do whatever the heck you wanted with your body. And this was actually something that was part of their worship. The way in which you worship was not just going somewhere to a temple to raise hands to another god. Often what happened is you would sleep with temple prostitutes in the temple as an act of worship. And so Paul over and over is trying to correct the community around what they do. Now this isn't a teaching on sexuality, and you're thankful for that this morning, I'm sure. Uh, but we are in the fall going to dive deeper into exactly what we've just talked about here. But there's, there's clarity here that the church is called to live different, a holy life, to live set apart, to be this community that looks different than the world. And part of what it means to live as the people of God and the people of the future and the present is to do one thing that I think really stands out, and it's in verse 11. And this one thing is this, to lead a quiet life that Paul says that part of this discipleship thing and the way the church is supposed to function and move in community is to lead quiet lives. He even says this. He says, mind your own business, come on somebody, so that you win the respect of others. Wait a second. Aren't we like, don't you go to youth rallies and different things and you hear about the church that we're supposed to change the world and it's so much oftentimes about getting the gospel out and all of those things are good. But it's interesting that Paul actually says that we as a community, we as the people of God, we are to lead a quiet life. I'd put it like this. One of the things that Paul is hammering away at is that we as the people of God are called to live quietly and simply. This is a call for us. In the midst of a culture, even an evangelicalism that says, rah, rah, kuksh, kamba, we're going to take over the world, actually the, way, actually the way we're going to do it is by leading quietly and simply. And if you actually do a history of the early church and you, do, you, you even comb through the history of the church even after the early centuries of the church, you begin to realize that for the most part, the church was best when it lived simply. Simplicity has always been a core emphasis of those who follow Jesus. You know, and we could honestly, the, the tension with this morning is we could do a whole series on simplicity. But as Christians, for the most part, they've been called in over the centuries into simplicity and into simplicity in their relationships, how they spend their time, their money, and how they embody an overall ethos of simplicity to the people around them. We are called as people to live simply and to act justly. And this is the call for all of us to live 
actually within our means, to watch our time, how we spend our money, to feel, and some of you guys know this that have been a part of the church, to feel the limits of what it means to be a part of a body, to live quietly. One of the things we talk a lot around here about is, is when you're a part of a body, you're restricted, right? Just think about your physical body. And Paul makes very clear in the New Testament, your hand can't just leave the body or your foot and so on, that we're called actually into limits. And the church has practiced this over and over. Here's a great example. Uh, there's a monastery that this is the vow of simplicity that they take up as they enter into this monastery. And actually, a lot of Catholic monks and nuns will take a vow. This is just one of them from Our Lady of the Mississippi Abbey in a monastery in Iowa. This is what they say. We vow to remain all our life with our local community. We live together. We pray together. We work together. We relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself. And the idea that things would be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out and restore peace. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, and forgiving. A beautiful call in this community to being together. Simplicity, simplicity has always been a part of the Jesus way. And I don't know about you, does it kind of feel like things are get, now in the 21st century with technology and everything we have at our disposal, that things are a little complex? I, I sense this and I feel this and I would imagine that some of you do as well. Uh, it reminds me, and I've told this story to some of you guys, and this will lead our discussion around being a simple community, but on Palm Sunday 2016, which was three years ago this month, our little community that was City View Church and a site of Royal View Church was meeting in a theater just like two blocks over from here. And I remember waking up Palm Sunday morning and guys, it was fantastic. The band was practicing, everything was set up in our community, the kids' experiences, uh, the youth experiences, uh, the band was ready. It was like in a theater with like inner monitoring, <laughs> Just perfect. Everything looked good. We had a 25-foot uh, projection screen in high definition with all the slides rolling, everything ready to go, and we were ready to go for the morning. And the only problem was nobody showed up. Ask me how that was. It was like this day is like clear in my mind because the band was rock. Like it was like this. This is amazing. And very few people showed up on that morning. And this, it's actually a critical moment in the life of our church and our, in our community because that morning spurred on a lot of questions just about what we do and how we do it. And what's funny is a couple weeks later, we actually uh, lost that building for a few weeks and ended up here. And we've moved into this particular space since then. And it's like we've... It's like over time, we've grown into the beauty of becoming a simple community. It's almost like in and through all of this, as simple as a baby crying, right? Yeah? God has led us to a particular kind of ethos that now has seen us flourish, I think, in a much better way. 
Simplicity. Simplicity has become a core value around here. And I want to talk to you guys or with you guys just about some of the things that we've been led in around this idea of simplicity. As I've studied now the church more, I realize we uh, in the evangelical world can make things really complex, and we've just been called back to simplicity. So simple that our mission is this. Our mission is simply to do what Jesus says is great. This is our mission to live out the great commandment, to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourself, and to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to be this mission force that proclaims the gospel with everything that we have. What's your mission? Really simple. Our mission is to do what Jesus says is great. Then our vision is very, very uh, simple as well. Our vision as a community is simply to practice the way of Jesus together. Jesus over and over talks about the road that follows him as a road, as a way. The word in the New Testament is hodos. It's, it's, you, know, you get pictures of this. He talks about a wide road and a narrow road. And as a community, we feel this call to follow Jesus. And the way that we do it, this is we practice this together. And so we've been talking that we have a eucharismatic vision, which embodies three particular things. First, we're rooted in the tradition. So in a few minutes, we're going to come to the bread and the cup together. We're going to take communion together. And one of the things we feel is a strong call just to be rooted in the church calendar and rooted in history. Two, we're charismatic, so we're immersed in the Holy Spirit. We're a charismatic community in the best sense. I know some of you maybe have experiences of charismatic communities that maybe look a little different than this, but we believe this word charismatic just means that we're a community that's immersed in the presence of God. Jesus is only here by his spirit. And then three, we endeavor to be this culturally engaging community. And so one of the things we've been talking about is as we live this out, the simplicity is this. The spirit forms us by a few things. And I hate equations, but we've shared this throughout the series that one of the ways that we actually are transformed is not just by getting information in our brains and in our heads, but one of the things and really the way that we're transformed is by practice. And so here at Praxis, we believe that transformation happens over the long road. It takes time. You're probably this morning, though I want to encounter Jesus together, you're probably not going to get a zap from heaven that just changes everything all of a sudden in one instance. Anybody had that happen? Right? Even when that happens, even when we come to salvation in Jesus, it seems like this is a road, this is a journey. And so over the long road, we believe that transformation happens through the combination of the work of the Holy Spirit combined with the communal practices, so we're big on the church, getting together and practicing the way of Jesus together, combined with the individual practices that we are pushing people towards as a community, equals fully formed followers of Jesus over time. Anybody in the room want to look more like Jesus? Am I the only one? I think there's a few of us. And I think it actually, over time, is this combination of the work of the Spirit in my life Practicing what Jesus says, because it's really hard to do what Jesus says if you're not in community. Practicing these individual practices in my life. Over time, and my belief is that over time, we can look more like Jesus. My hope for my life, I don't know, I can't control yours, and you're probably pretty thankful for that, but I know for the life that I've been given, I want to look different, and I want to be more like Jesus 
20, 25, 30 years when I'm playing huff and puff hockey every day, right? Any, any, any huff and puffers? No? Huff and puff hockey's amazing. They play like every day at like 75. It's amazing. So my hope is, is that as a community, formation would be a part of this simple approach to practicing the way of Jesus together. And so we do this, really simple. I'm going to say the word simple about a million times this morning. Simple. This is what we do. We gather on Sunday mornings. You're here. And we gather together for music and teaching and worship, time of community and connection. We come to the bread and cup every week. And we have kids and youth programs that we believe engage our kids and our students as disciples of Jesus. So we have Sunday mornings, and then the simple thing outside of Sunday mornings is we are a community that wants to live in community outside of here. And so we're really, the thing, the, the simple thing that we do outside of Sundays is our Praxis communities, which are small groups of people that gather together throughout the week to follow Jesus together. And as you know, if you participate, many of these communities eat meals together, study, pray, worship, join in and practice the spiritual disciplines together. Our hope is it's really simple. Gather with us on Sundays and then throughout the week, get involved in one thing. Just find a community and we want to help as many people get involved in community that want to throughout the week. Make sense? Simple. Can you just say that word with me? Simple, baby. Not rocket science. This way of Jesus seems to be a lot more simple than we could ever think or imagine. And so one of the things that has risen to the top around here is a current saying that we, all of us in leadership tend to say, and it's this, everything is an invitation. Everything. Here's the beauty of the church community. First of all, you're all here out of your own volition. Hopefully, maybe your kids aren't, but you are, I think. You've got a, <laughs> I have a couple kids. Sometimes it's hard, hard to get out the door in the morning. I get it. But everything is an invitation. I love this about the church. The less we try and force people into something, the, I think the more beautiful the church becomes. And so when we talk about communities and praxis communities, this will become the primary ministry outside of our Sunday gatherings. And if you want to join in, we want to do everything we can. We have uh, communities that meet around the dinner table. We have a book study group right now. We have a young professionals group that's gathering. There's so many beautiful, good things, a men's community. And then there's been other people that have expressed interest in creating other forms of community, and we just want to say, let's go for it. As a church and a leadership, we want to do everything that we can to propel people into community. And all we're asking is that if that's a heart of yours, to, to deepen and maybe open up your home or your dinner table or whatever, just to live in the simplicity of community together. And so one of the things, if you're a leader in some of those communities, one of the things that we hope is, is that those communities could be cultivated within. We don't talk a lot about specific communities from the front. We just hope as leaders and as people in the, in the community that if you have a midweek community, develop that. Uh, Heather and I have one, and we don't talk, I try not talk a lot about it from the front because we would love for all of them just to be kind of like underground, built on Sundays, the connection, the community, people connecting with each other. And I love what's happening and seeing some of these, uh, these little communities build up from the ground up and seeing people get together, get together around living rooms and the dinner table, really simple stuff. It's almost like it feels like the early church, which is beautiful. Then, with our kids and youth, our desire is to continue to de develop the discipleship environments of our kids and youth here at Praxis. Now, here's the thing. We're being super patient um, and trying to really lean in to becoming a church 
that ministers to the people that we have and not, not getting too far ahead of ourselves, if that makes sense. So one of the things we need, if you have kids, we have some serious dreams for Praxis Kids and Youth. Um, the thing that we need to see is a little bit more consistency from our own community on Sundays. The hope is, I think a few weeks ago, we had on the other side of the building, a, just over like almost 45 people between babies, preschoolers, elementary kids, and junior highs and the leaders. I think there were six or seven leaders that were on that particular morning. And that's beautiful. But what we notice a little bit, just being honest, is it goes up and down in our gatherings. Probably half of our families are away this morning. So we're on the edge of our seat with some things, but we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Nod your head. Does that make sense? Our hope, I'm just, some of this stuff is going to be super candid. We would love to do some midweek stuff with our kids and our youth, but we just need to see more consistency before we're going to jump into that. We have some things we feel like we can do, but one of the things we would love is to see uh, the Sunday experiences cultivated first. And so even, like my hope is, is I would say if, if we could get consistently, and we have this many kids and youth, if 50 kids and youth started coming every week, then we would start to open up the discussion as a community about having particular care for them, maybe even at a staff level. But we're not quite there yet because of the whoop, 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 right, all over the place. And so we want to make sure, like if we had um, 50 kids and youth coming, which is possible in our context every week, we would really start to get the discussion going about filling and seeing what we can do with a particular person or persons over that. We have volunteers right now that are doing a great job. But part of, the, part of the process of being a simple church is we don't want to get far ahead of ourselves. So that's almost like lobbing, if you're a parent, lobbing the ball back into your court and just uh, helping us cultivate that on Sundays makes sense. I know not everybody's parents, but even, here's an example, and we're far from perfect. Um, so your kids being here helps... Um, it just helps in the, the weekly rhythms of these experiences. So yesterday, Ava was at a sleepover, and we made sure this morning the easiest thing would have been to just let her kind of stay, but we know the value she brings to that small little junior high ministry, just her life being there, and so we picked her up. And my thought is, is if we could, if we could continue to develop and grow in these things, oh, the beauty with Praxis Kids and Youth is going to be incredible. We have an amazing group of volunteers, people giving their lives. I think over 20 um, people that give their lives to helping with Praxis Kids and Youth, and it's been amazing. So we're trying to be simple about these things, but trying to push these things. They have awesome high-definition lessons. I, I would really encourage as parents to probe with questions and follow-up. And just to continue to remind yourself that the not everything rests on the church when it comes to the discipleship of your kids, but that it's actually the combination of your home and the church working together, which we believe is the best. So here's a great example. I'm talking, I have 11, an 11, almost an 11-year-old. I know you look at me and you're like, there's no way. But I have budding gray hair everywhere. It's, it's horrible. Um, and it, those, you know, I'm just something I'm wrestling with. You know, I'm getting over it. Heather says it's sexy, but it's all good. It's uh, a... <laughs> Just joking, she would never say that to me, ever. Um, so I'm driving with my almost 11-year-old, and we got talking actually about this, about discipleship. And I am learning more and more that the primary person that will lead my kids in the way of Jesus is, is Heather myself. And so we're talking about this, and, and so I'm uh, chatting with Ava and talking about how, listen, 
you're getting, listen, you always have questions and it is my responsibility as your dad to lead you in the way of Jesus. So if you have questions, you come to me. And she nodded her head and said, okay. And then she turned to me and said, so, the flood. You should laugh about that. Like the, the most, like she looked at me and goes, okay, so, so the flood. And then we get like into this 40 minute long conversation around the flood. Like, was it legit? Was it local or global? How did Noah get all the animals on the ark? And I just thought, I sat back and this was just the best moment ever because it led to discussions all over the place about the kingdom of God and what we have in the Bible and even little nerdy things. If you don't think, if you have a kid in junior high and you don't think your kids are asking these questions, they are. And they're hearing stuff at school, which is great. I'm super thankful for our education system, but there's all sorts of probing questions. And so there's this tension that the call for us as parents is to lead our kids in the way of Jesus. And then on the church end, we're trying our best to do whatever we can to create the best environments. And so one of the dreams here, whether you have, you're single, you have kids, kids, whatever, the dream here is to have the family come together and have these different experiences. Simple. Sunday morning, jump in with us. The other thing is, simple, is our setup. Since that dreaded day on Palm Sunday 2016, we've totally revamped everything. First of all, we came to this beautiful space, and I just want to let you know that the relationship here at Goodwill is freaking amazing. We have such a good relationship with the guys here, and it's been so just such a perfect partnership for us to come alongside them and see these things happen. Anybody seen the little trailer down that we pull stuff out of on Sundays? Anybody seen that before? Here's the motto. Ready? Simple. If it doesn't fit in the trailer, right? If it can't fit within that five by four, whatever whatever the dimensions on that trailer are, we've come to a place where it's just simple. It takes one person, because I've done it on myself, to empty that trailer 12 minutes on its own. Not, it's easy, simple stuff. Our call times here for setup and in the teams and making Sundays happen are 8.30 for some of the guys and then 9.30 for the other teams. Super simple, super, like if you talk to other churches, some of the call times are like 6.30 and 7 in the morning. And one of the things we've said is for the long time value of our people, we're just gonna do this simply if it doesn't fit in the trailer. And if our rooms and our experiences can't be done simply, we won't do it because we want there to be a rhythm within the community where this is maintainable. And we've seen great fruit from this. Are you with me? We've seen some great, great fruit um, kind of having a, a simple vision and if it doesn't fit in the trailer, so be it, right? Then the other thing that we've kind of walked in as a community is just particular rhythms. And this is a little different than some communities. Because we're in rented facilities, we get to declare with our, with our rhythm and the way we gather when we want to rest. And so one of the things that's beautiful about Praxis, and I know I'm biased, but, and one of the things we want to call people into is there are moments and times throughout the year because of how hard people serve, we get to rest. Now I know for some people, like rest is like, you know, three to four times a month. Just joking. Maybe not. But... Um, For those of us, and especially for some of our key volunteers, we want to implement rest throughout the year. And so we're thinking about appropriate times, so you'll notice that things like the long weekends are times when we just chill. We don't have a gathering here. There's also times throughout the year where we do unique things. One of the mandates of this community as we grow and move into our future 
is we want Saturdays to be guarded as much as possible. So we don't do a lot on Saturdays. We really want to put our emphasis on the family coming together. And I, I don't mean family, uh, whether you have kids or not. I mean the church family coming together to worship Jesus together and making that a, a priority. Hanging with me? Really simple stuff. Now here's the thing, building. I don't know if you know this, but the largest packaging, shipping company in the world only has a couple of hubs. You think of Amazon, what they've been able to do to change the world is unbelievable. The largest taxi service right now is something called Uber. They don't have taxis. The fastest growing hotel um, line, they probably wouldn't want to call it a hotel line, but for simplicity, let's call it that, is something called Airbnb. They do not own any real estate. And so sometimes people will ask about our community, and they'll ask, so when are you going to become like a real church? You know, like when you have brick and mortar and like a steeple on top, and like, you know, when are you going to become like real? And you know what's really interesting? As we've stumbled in, and obviously we can't afford a building at this moment, but as we've stumbled into this, it's actually part of our vision. Rented facilities is actually part of the vision here. You know what's crazy is the fact we could double this morning or triple maybe even quadruple on a morning like this morning, and our bills for this rent, just between you and me, would stay exactly the same. We own this level, this whole level on the third floor on uh, Sundays. There's a room that holds close to 300 people on the other side, but we rent it all. And so it's this crazy reality that as we've stumbled into rented facilities, it's actually become part of our ethos. The funny thing is, is if you were to give me a bunch of money and build a building, I would probably build a building like this, like this first floor, with open spaces, with chairs, with the beauty and the architecture of this building. And so one of the things we just want to remind everybody in the simple vision of Praxis is, listen, I'm not saying buildings are bad. I, I, you know, I don't think buildings are bad. There's great churches doing great things with their building. And listen, if you had a building close to here and you wanted to give it to us and furnish it, we would take it. So if you want to do that, you know, God's just, we would probably take it. But for this moment in, moment in time, um, we feel like we can be this community that lives simply. And what happens is we get drawn into spaces like this to then in return do some beautiful things with our resources. So I was at lunch with some great guys, great pastor dudes on Thursday. And... There was a guy, I don't know him that well, but seemed like a great guy showing everybody the, the plans for his $7 million building that they're building, going to build for their church. The, that community, I think, is around 600 people. That's a lot of money per person. And I didn't say it, but I'm thinking in my head, it's interesting to put that much into real estate when, let's be honest, most people will probably come to that twice a month, right? And so... Here's our building project. I just want to just very clearly, I got cheeky a few years ago. I put it out on Facebook. I said, everybody come. I want you to hear about our building project. And people, remember, Heather? People came out of the woodwork. It, the morning was, man, at that point, City View's going to build a building. And I said this. Here's our building project. Ready? Ready for it? Buy a house or a condo. Rent an apartment. Invite people in. And invite them in to experience life in the kingdom. That's our building program. Do it. Build a house, buy a house, buy a condo, open up your doors, 
get the bread and wine out and invite people into life in the kingdom because it's really as simple as that. And I think in our post-Christian moment, this vision is actually really compelling. I'm not saying that someday we won't land with the building, but I just know that we are freed up to do so much good with what we have and to be a community. And think about it. Think about a number of, like, I bring people to this space and how many people are just like, man, this, I would love a space like this. God has blessed us in so many ways. You with me? The vision is simple. I really encourage you, man, open up your life, open up your home to the kingdom, invite people in. That is the best building strategy, especially in this cultural moment that we're living in. So kids and youth stuff, trying to be simple, trying to grow and walk with them. Um, the building, the setup, the, the things that we do here with our teams, trying to be as simple as possible. And then with finances, it's exactly the same thing. Our annual budget here is $81,500 a year. It's about $6,800 a month. When I tell people that budget, for the size of our community, they fall off their chair. I've had to do a little re resuscitation for people just to get them up off the ground when they realize how I don't want to use the word cheap, but cost-effective, we do stuff. But one of the calls we feel in this moment, and you guys have been so faithful into the turn and praxis, it's so beautiful, we would love to be a giving church. We would just love, man, we're just sorting this out and looking at, as we turn the corner into praxis, how we can continue to give away and be generous to the people around us. And one of our commitments, though I was around people that were bragging about how much debt they're going to get in this week, we're just committed not to going in debt. Now, some of that is forced because we, we can't get any debt right now anyways, but that's actually a good thing. We're committed to this crazy thing within church life, to live within our means as a community and to not go in debt. Come on, somebody. Any, does this resonate with anybody? Is this anybody with me? That we live simply... Because this is what Christians have done. And even on the building side, I would love the city, like we, I, we, we can be here long term, but let the city build us multi-million dollar buildings and we'll use them, right? And so there's this, I, we just want to make it clear before people as we land Discover Praxis that we want to do this very, very simply. And the ball, as we kind of lob the ball back into people's courts, we will work to grow and see these experiences expand as people participate. And I'm super excited. Like that week, a few weeks ago with the kids and you stuff, it was just God is doing something beautiful within this community. And we're so excited about what God is going to do in the future. Now with this, one of the things we just wanted to do as we end this whole thing, Discover Praxis, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to package it as not because we are trying to force it on everybody, but as people enter into volunteering here and serving on a team and into membership, one of the things we would love is for people to actually walk through Discover Praxis. And so we've been really wrestling with membership. Discover Praxis, we want everybody to kind of listen through and journey through Discover Praxis, these seven teachings on the way to membership. Now here's the thing. The last few years I was in seminary, really wrestled through all of this, and churches do membership in different ways. Some churches don't even call it that because it kind of sounds country clubbish, and it's, it's kind of true. The denomination we're a part of, we've just stayed with this word member. Now here's the thing. As I've studied the early church, I don't think if you were going to one of the home churches in the early church, they would have asked you to sign a covenant form. I 
probably like on papyrus, right? Everybody sign the covenant form on papyrus just so we make sure everybody's good. It seems to me that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a member of the body of Christ. And we just never, I, I don't ever want to lose that. But you also know today, it's a different moment because even to be a charity in Canada's standards, there's a legal precedent to be a charity. And there's checks and there's balances. And that's actually like, that's a good, that's something I don't, that's amazing. I love that there's checks and balances. I want, I think that's beautiful for, for the church. And we've just been sensing as a leadership, as we've been talking about membership and wrestling through it, you know, at one point I thought back in the day, everybody should become a member if they want to be involved. But the problem is there's some of you in this room <laughs> that don't really care about that. You're involved in the church in a deep and beautiful way. You're giving your life. You're serving. You're volunteering. But you don't care about the, what you would see as bureaucracy. And to be honest, if everything's an invitation, we don't want to force people into that. So here's the thing. We're going to open up membership, and if you want to be uh, a member at Praxis, we invite you to do that. But if you don't, then that's okay too. You don't have to be a member to serve or get involved. As you know, under legal standards, we have a whole process um, with our insurance and all that if you want to serve and be involved, um, that there's a whole process with that and plan to protect training and all sorts of stuff that we lead people through, and that's amazing. But simply what we're going to do is open up membership. If you want to be a member at Praxis, we're going to invite you into that. It'll start with Discover Praxis and understanding our mission, our vision, our core values and listening through it. And then this isn't up yet, it's not ready, but there'll just be a covenant form for membership that will be there that you can just sign online and enter into. Once a year, we'll have an annual vision meeting just to bring you guys up to speed with what's going on and share with you guys kind of the heart and some of the things that have happened over the last year, financials and everything that's involved with that. And then what we'll do with the membership, there'll be an application process, and then every year we'll just call people that are members to recommit and renew their membership every year. It'd be really, really simple. Do you notice, do you notice something going on here today? Yeah, it's, we just want to be as simple as possible. So this will, in the next couple weeks, be up. We'll send it out in Praxis Weekly and give you an opportunity. If you don't want to do this, we're not going to like force you into this. We want to be, we want this to be the healthiest thing possible. And we really do believe if, that if everything is an invitation, then the invitation's out for you to practice. But you do that as you please. Make sense? Yes. We believe the best days are ahead. And one of the ways I think we're gonna live into our future as praxis is by living simply and quietly. And I believe that as we practice this and live this out as a community, that our city is going to be changed. We have dreams beyond, in many ways, comprehension. We have dreams and vision for way more than we ever would have money for, but we're just trying to walk in the realistic, in the realism that we have what we have here and we want to push and see God move us into its future. So just remember that your participation on Sundays and in practice communities and everything helps us as a team, as we push forward, make decisions for the future. And my hope, my prayer, is that as God moves and works within us, um, this is the start of something that I think we'll be able to call a lot of people into. Listen, if I was in a church, and I, this sounds super arrogant, 
um, maybe, and I don't mean it that way, but if I was just like not paid to be a part of a church, heaven and I, this would be something we're drawn to. A community that thinks about my kids. A community that thinks about the rhythm of rest and time off. A community that thinks about its money well and not getting everything caught and tangled in real estate. This is, if I walked into a place like this, honestly, this would be the kind of place that I would want to be a part of. And I, I, I sense as I talk to people, and we've talked to people throughout the turn of becoming Praxis Church, that others feel the same. A simple vision to reach people, to practice the way of Jesus, to do what Jesus says is great. And so this is a call to all of us just to, uh, to, to join in. And I don't know where God's leading you in this particular moment and season, um, but uh, I hope as we come to the bread and cup here, we can listen to the voice of God. God, where are you leading us?